Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffee. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. Today's guest is Mark Mitford. He's the founder and CEO of HR Catalyst. Now, Mark has worked for world-class organizations, Pepsi, Ericsson, overseeing how do you build processes and systems that help people develop their talent and build an amazing organization. And he's taken all of that executive leadership that he learned and now helps small and mid-sized businesses build an exciting culture and a place that people would love to work for. Now, I have oftentimes looked at HR as just the compliance thing, and he blew that wide open. I took so much away from this. We did a deep dive on culture today. We talked about core values. We talked about the environment that we are hiring in. You are going to love what he has to say. Let's go ahead and dive in. Well, Mark Mitford, we are so excited to have you on Corporate Caffeine. Welcome. Great. Thanks so much, Stacia. So tell me, it is a crazy world out there right now in regards to people and hiring and how much it's changed everybody's mental. So you in the HR space, you being a people pro, you know, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, great question. It's you know, I think the key thing is now that that you've really ended up in a situation where the employees are really in control of their own destiny. I think that one of the biggest shifts is making sure that clients we work with, that the, they no longer think that everybody wants to come and work for us and that they are they're in control of the process. They can be somewhat in control, but when you think about it, the employee, the candidate that they're actually trying to recruit, the ideal candidate they're trying to recruit, they're the ones that are ultimately in control. That is a really good point. It's interesting that you say that because we have been watching that shift in marketing happen for, I mean, really more than 10 years. I mean, as digital evolved, people became in control of what they wanted to see. I mean, turning off commercials and, you know, now with all of the privacy things, you know, I mean, you constantly have to be aware that they're in control and, you know, you have to put on kind of a more of a service mindset. So that's interesting to see that, you know, that's happening in the people space as well. Right. Exactly. I think the other big thing too, is that we work with a lot of companies, a new client we're going to start working with uh, this month, actually in April, they're going to be, they don't even have a defined culture within their organization, their culture, core values, and so we're going to be starting that strategic with them to really help them identify who they are yeah. as an organization. And also, I think more importantly is how do they differentiate themselves in the marketplace? And they're an engineering consulting firm. And the key thing is that, you know, we're a big backer of saying every company has a company culture. It's either leadership led and very intentional or it's led by the employees. Yes. And if it's led by the employees, you just never know what you're going to get because you're going to probably get flavor of the month. You, you know, you've noticed, or I've noticed, just on the radio ads of people trying to hire right now, all you hear about is culture. 
and about employee engagement and those things rather than, hey, we're the biggest brand. We're so-and-so. Well, they're highlighting themselves back in the past. These huge companies, it's like they're catering strictly towards the uh, employee now. Right. Coca-Cola is running all, all of their ads in DFW. I don't know if you've noticed this. All about employees and culture and people less so about the product. It's so interesting. Right. And I used to be, uh, speaking about Coca-Cola, I actually worked for their arch rival PepsiCo. (laughs) I worked for for Coca-Cola. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) So only seven years. I I say that. I was about, I was five years with Pepsi and I worked for Pepsi corporate. Um, but we were about two miles away from Frito-Lay, their headquarters over in Plano. But it was really interesting because even for a company that size, so Pepsi, when I was there, had about 300,000 employees, but they really talked about the Pepsi way of doing things. And they were very, even back then, so this was probably 15, 18 years ago, they were very much, their, their culture, you either really fit in their culture or you didn't. Yeah. Yep. And I think you've, you found that out because their culture was so strong. That with clients that we work with at HR Catalyst, we work with really lower middle market size clients, typically 25, 30 employees to about 300 employees. Yeah. And so a lot of them, they they truly are in that space to where they don't know what they don't know, especially on the people side of the business. So one of the key things, just like this um, new client I just referenced, we're helping them because they really have never, and this is a second generation family owned business. Um, has done well, but now the the second generation uh, owner who is in their early 30s, they've really recognized there are so many things that they that the dad did not do within the organization. Mm. And so it was interesting as I, we went in there doing this uh, fairly comprehensive HR assessment, we found out we would always ask them to tell us about their culture and also describe their core values. And it's really fascinating when you talk to eight people, you think, You'd swear they all work for eight different companies. Yeah. Because there's no common thread. Yeah. And that's the part we really try to focus on. We we try to look at strategically, really directionally, where's that company going to get, where are they going? Because if they don't know where they're going, then we just use a classic line, then any road's going to get you there. Yeah. And so if you, especially now they're hiring a lot of uh, millennials and Gen Zs. Mm Mm-hmm. So if they really don't have a well-defined culture, that's not going to help them from an attraction perspective right. and also from a retention perspective because quick, quickly people are going to figure out it's just it's a good experience, but in today's marketplace, you can always leave the company very easily and find a different job. And in some cases, of course, you might be able to find a better paying job. So how do you continue to re-recruit your people once they're there? Yeah. And a lot of companies, once a person's there, they just forget about the person. And they just keep them on the payroll and they say, you know, they should be happy with getting paid and getting some level of benefits and some other perks. But I'm like, you can't do that anymore. You've got to continue to sell and market heavily to your employees around employee engagement, employee experience. And that's another thing we try to help companies work through. Okay. So on that note, okay. So when you're talking about culture, um, I think most people listening and myself included, you know, we automatically go, you need to know your core values. If I was to be challenged with, well, what is culture? Well, does everybody know your core values? Does everybody know your mission or vision statement, whichever one you have, or if you have multiple, do, is, do you hire and fire 
by those things, you know, so maybe a couple of what I would consider fundamental check marks, right? But then, you know, you're talking about re-promoting internally, you're talking about employee engagement. How do you drive or form or enrich, or I don't even know what verb to use, but you know, how do you do culture intentionally once you get those core things down? What does that actually mean, especially for a smaller mid-sized business? Right. Yeah, that's a really, um, I'll, I'll just, I'll give you, I'll give you a kind of a high level. I'll try to peel the onion back a couple of layers. I say the first thing is on core values. Uh, so another uh, real story, another client we're working with, um, they're in the plant nursery business. So they sell commercially to Lowe's and Home Depot. Uh, they're out in East Texas. So one of the key things we're doing just on the baseline level is we're making sure we're aligning their rewards and award system around their core values. Mm. Oh, neat. So it's, and it's, it's really, it's, it's something very fundamental and basic, but we're going to be making sure one of the key things is it's, it's really good if the owners are talking about the core values and they have posters and signage in different places. But the key thing is we're trying to get people to not only be living it, but we're also one of the key things we're trying to do through a basic awards program is looking at catching people actually emulating their core values. So one of the core values I uh, was out there yesterday is resilience. So how do you find employees? And again, a lot of their employees are hourly workers. Um, they're, they're in the cold of the cold. They're in the heat of the heat, yeah. 10, 12 hours a day. So it's very easy to find. It's, um, uh, you know, it's very easy to find people who are going to be resilient mm-hmm. and through something like that, because you know, there's days where it's extremely long hours in this time of year, especially. And so how do people persevere through that? And how do people actually live by the core values? So one of the key things is we really push on employees. Not only this isn't just fluff, it's really what are we doing? What are leaders promoting? And what are employees, peers looking at rewarding other peers that they see really doing a great job at that? Yeah. So yeah, it engages everyone. It really does you know, calling someone out, not calling them out, but bringing the attention, saying, "Hey, you just did X, Y, and Z," you know, without even realizing it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. like an attaboy. That's yeah, great. Yeah. And the nice thing is because the other beauty of it, we're really positioning this. Your manager can't actually nominate you. Great. This has to be an employee to an employee. Oh wow! Yeah. So we That's just so much more meaningful. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh, exactly. and it's kind of a surprise too because you don't know. When it's coming, you just do what you do in alignment with those core values. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not so the cool. same talking head, you know, the one up there preaching the core values and, okay, will people adapt to it and receive it or not? Right. That, that's so, it's so true. And the other thing around it, too, I would say from a, uh, you know, the way we look at it, too, we look at culture and, you know, you could, um, you could probably get a PhD on studying culture and all the facets um, I jokingly say I'm a simple minded person who grew up in a small town in Canada. So I'm just like, I try to keep culture simple too. So to me, it's the written and the unwritten ways that work gets done mm-hmm. in an organization because you may have written rules, policies, just formality, but then it's also the unwritten way you get things done within the organization, which is it's, it's almost tribal knowledge yeah, in a way. And people who do that well do it so seamlessly. It's really as effortless when you have it. 
and the and the interesting thing is when you're not when you don't fit in the culture well it's also very apparent because it's almost like you're a salmon swimming upstream the whole way yeah. versus going downstream and where you can find it you know you're always facing a headwind versus actually going with the tailwind yeah so it's a lot simpler um the other thing we do from a you know we try to recommend that it happens there is also around promotions you promote against people who really emulate your core values. Mm. You know, you're leading with the core values. So we're looking for lots of, it's almost like the day-to-day, how does the day-to-day business and the drumbeat in the organization function when the kind of the ethos of the organization is really built around a strong culture? Yeah. And it's a lot of fun when we have companies that don't have that and we can go in there and make them put in some, things that are fairly basic for what we do because of our experience base and be able to put that into their normal rhythm of work. And so that really does make us feel good about what we're doing and really help them to get to that another level of success that maybe they haven't seen before. Well, and I love that there's this fun component to this, you know, that once things are in alignment, that building compensation and building promotion strategies or career paths, you know, that you can add this level of creativity. And, you know, you're referring to this as basic, but I'm like, no, I haven't ever heard of anybody do that before. <laughs> like, that's pretty creative. <laughs> you know, I was very, very blessed that I worked for some really good companies when I started. I was big corporate. And then I dropped down into heading up HR for three middle mar- market size companies. And so it was kind of interesting to see the dynamic from a, a larger organization. A couple of them were the Ericsson or PepsiCo where it worked and then dropping it down into a smaller organizations that then it really got me a, to look at a broader view of HR. Mm. And that was fascinating because there were arguably, there were things about HR I really didn't know because I was so, you become so niche that you become, you know, at a Pepsi, you're a little cog in this huge machine. Huge. Yeah. And you just do this one little thing over and over and over again and you get really good at it, but you don't really understand that strategic perspective and the broader view. So again, what we cater to now with an HR catalyst is really catering to those organizations that really find a lot of their biggest business challenges that are hindering their, their business growth are really people related. And most of them do not have a people expert on staff just yet. Um, at a senior level who really think about the people agenda from a strategic perspective. Now, you've owned this business for eight or nine years now? Yeah, this is year nine now. Nine. Have you always had this philosophy about culture and embedding that from the get-go, or has this been something new since the great resignation right. and so forth? It's been really part of what we try to do, that when we talk to we're the way we think about the people side of the business is highly strategic. So we will get down and dirty on the compliance side. So we will make sure we do everything right from a compliance perspective. But along the way, I worked for some pretty, I started off in the telecommunications field. And so I started off in technology and they were fairly, uh, they were fairly risk averse about where they went with the people side of the business. So it was really kind of fun they were not like some industries that were so regulated. Everything was compliance focused. So I was really, you know, very fortunate and blessed that I could work and be be surrounded by very strategic minded people, and also business leaders who didn't mind taking calculated risk. Right. And so they thought a little bit differently. 
But around your question, Kyle, it's really focused on this was, I kind of grew up in some really strong cultures. I still remember the core values of Ericsson and I left there in 1997. Wow. But they were just so strong. Wow. And they were just, the CEO would always start every presentation, whether it was to Wall Street, whether it was through a bunch of business leaders, whomever. Um, they, he always started with the core values and ended with the core values. And they turned down some huge multi-million dollar, hundreds of million dollar deals because the, a company that could possibly be a customer really was not a good cultural fit. I wish more companies would have that mindset now. I know. Rather than look at the almighty dollar versus where will this get you long term? It's like, are you ready to get out of it just for the money? Or are you going to stay on the board and see this thing all the way through and um, have that passion of why you started it and see see it all the way through? Right. And there's so many companies, they 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 do it because it's it, it's good marketing and it looks good on a website. But I bring up real stories that I've run into where companies – They've let go of senior executives because they were not cultural fit, even though technically they were so good, but on the cultural side, they were so bad. And in, you know, in companies we try to work with, it's not something they really dwell on or they think about heavily because it's just the right thing to do. And if you have a great, if you have a great culture, your business will continue to perform. So it's not only just the right thing to do, but financially, right? both top line and bottom line, there's thousands of case studies, which will say your company will overperform if you have a really strong culture. It's amazing, you know, when you think about that. But I, you know, if you drop all of the tactics and specifics of business, right, you know, and you get down to at the end of the day, it's people bringing value to other people. Of course, that sound logic, you know, and we just lose sight of that. Because everything would be easy if it wasn't for the people. But guess what? There's nothing if there aren't, you know, crazy people doing what we do. And so those fundamental things about who we are, how we think, how we feel valued, how we bring value, you know, I mean, if you really just go to the roots of who we are as as unique individuals, that does make so much sense because that's the system or the you know, the fabric behind why people decide to do good work for your organization. Right. right. It's that classic line, you know, being, being the leader or the CEO of a company was, would be easy, except for all the people stuff. <laughs> the <laughs> people side of the business is where you get stuck. And, and those are the companies we love to work with where they really, they, they finally have the, they have the insight to figure out the, the biggest piece that's missing or the biggest thing that we're struggling with is the people side of the business. And if there are a company that's 50 people and growing or 100 people that's growing, those are kind of like those ideal clients where we find that the biggest struggle you have is all the people side of the business. And that's the piece that arguably they didn't go to school to learn the people side of the business. Yeah, right. They didn't take classes in, in those disciplines. And that's where we can come in and add value for them. You know, it's interesting because we're getting to the point in our business where, you know, now we have to be really deliberate and open about career pathing or at least knowing that we're going to have to career path our employees if they choose to stay with us, right? And it's funny because we're building the vision, we're driving towards these growth, so we're literally creating that and then on top of that trying to... (laughs) create a career path that doesn't quite yet exist. And so we know where we're going. And so it is this 
very strange, you know, visioning exercise where we just, you know, tell our team members, you know, honestly, I mean, this is where we're driving to, this is where we, you know, see you fit, but, but the details of figuring out what skills do they need? How do we be good to them? How do we maintain integrity around their personal development? Um, and not just the growth of the business, you know, because that's going to be important to both. I mean, it's, it's it, all of a sudden it gets very complicated. You sound like an HR person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good Lord. No, I'm like, that would be that's helpful great. if I had some No, that's that. great. No, whenever, if you want to have a conversation about it, happy to do that. But it's, it's, it's so true that that's one of the biggest reasons why, why younger people leave organizations. They don't see a path forward. And um, we do a lot of work. We try to do a lot of work around high potentials and around your top talent and your X amount, your very, your, that very narrow slice of top talent. And most of them leave, arguably, the, mo- the biggest reason they leave, probably one of them is, is one or two is going to be around, they see a lack of a career path or career mm-hmm. development opportunities. Yeah. And then the other one's around just the basic leadership. I don't trust or respect my boss, my direct manager. So it just Freedom. goes back to, yeah, it just goes back to, you know, part of the golden rule. And just treating people well and the way that you want to be treated. And if you do that, then a lot of things would be so much simpler. But so many leaders just struggle with that, that I think it's, I'm a big, you know, the people stuff is not rocket science. It's just about doing a lot of things basic. But fundamentally, a lot of organizations don't think about that, especially in certain fields. Uh, Certain areas are probably just naturally, you know, uh, people, people are dispendable. If somebody quits, I'll just go bring in another one. And when they quit or when their friend quits, I'll bring on another one. And if, if that's their mentality and that's their thinking around people, probably not an ideal client for us. So it's really, we want to think about longer term and how can you engage and retain those people for as long as possible. Right. So a lot of this conversation, of course, is about retention. Is that the main focus of your work? You know, I mean, like if it was a pie chart, what percentage (laughs) would that be compared to hiring or firing or compliance or all of the other things, you know, that you probably should list and I'm forgetting? No, you're good. I'd say the biggest thing would be if you were looking at the pie, probably retention is about 25%. Mm -hmm. We use a star model. So very simple, and the star, unfortunately, probably needs some marketing help here, does not mean anything. But <laughs> when we look at it, the star actually focuses on, so if you, envisual, if you visualize the star and the center point of the star is the culture. So what we look at is, you know, we look at five points of the star. First one is um, strategy. So strategy will get into your, your mission, purpose statement, core values, and things like that. Strategic planning's process, do you have some formality around strategic planning every year? Do you look at externally versus, do you look at both internally and externally around strategic planning? Mm. Uh, next thing's around structure. So are you organized to actually help you to complete your vision? Good because one. so many yeah. organizations, they say they want to get to... Um, they want to be a $10 million, let's say they're a $5 million company, and then two, in two years they want to be $10 million. But they have a bookkeeper. They have a bookkeeper who's um, 25 years old, who's really good at running QuickBooks, but they don't have a CFO or controller right. who can think strategically. So we help companies, if you're going to say you want to be a 
$10 million, $20 million, $30 million company, do you have the right leaders in place to be able to help you get from point A to point B? And that's, that is an interesting blind spot now that I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. it because, you know, you see your organization, you know, you're functioning, you're thinking about headcount in regards to you having stable, um, financials, Mm -hmm. you know, so that you're not overhired or, you know, like so that everybody keeps their job and, (laughs) you know, all of this, but that is interesting. Like trying to figure out when, do you hire those leaders? And then if you've never hired them before, how do you know they're going to do a good job? And what does that even look like? You know, I mean, I think that's fascinating. When when you're going from 5 million to 10 million and your bookkeeper can't read three months worth of cash flow down the road and projections of hiring people, someone's got to, you know, you don't, if you start over hiring, everyone knows you're going to run out of cash. You know, it, those type of things. Yeah. It's crucial. Yeah. Even though your business model may be great, you're growing, but then there's that financial side that will get you in a bind eventually, and then it's going to be too late. Yeah, that, that is so true. And that's why I think even in your field, what you do, what our company does, this whole fractional model yeah. of going into, because I, you know, again, I, I jokingly, one of our taglines is, you can't afford me full time, yep. But you can afford me on a fractionalized or part time basis. No, exactly. I mean, so. it's not a joke because that is a hundred percent true. Absolutely, you know where you can not learn everything the hard way. <laughs> right. Well, so you don't want to bring on, you know, a, a, a chief marketing officer or chief HR officer when you're at this point, and they're probably it doesn't make business sense to do that. And that's where I'm like, well, I can, you can get a, t- a slice of my time. But hopefully you bring on the brain power of 30, now 32 years of HR experience, and you can bring on the resources of the HR Catalyst team. And therefore, you get the horsepower of a very senior level um, individual. And so I think that's why that whole fractional model makes so much sense now yeah. for those lower middle market size companies who are struggling with growth. And they don't want to pull the trigger just yet to bring on somebody like yourselves or somebody like our firm, but they have the need and they, but they just don't have that or they can't, they can't financially figure out how to make that work for a full-time resource. So they get that on a, they get a slice of our time and our, but they get all of the expertise. Yeah. One of our core values is mastery. And that's why we try to put the people in place that are masters at what they do to help other people. Um, whether it's social media, you know, SEO, CMO, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, to bring up another one to go back, um, truth. When she was writing out her core values <laughs> and one of them's truth, I was like, well, isn't that a given? You know, deep yeah. down inside, I was like, that's a given. We use that core value more commonly in meetings, tell the truth early and often. It's kind of like our phrase. And we, we really live by that now. Oh yeah. And we tell our employees, Hey, we got to tell our clients this early and often it's going to resolve more issues. It's going to bring clarity to more situations negatively or positively, whatever it may be. Um, I I was surprised at how that core value started um, playing out. And I know and how it's developed when you do, you know, I mean, it's a great point because employees, they start to believe you. Right. Which is, and the thing about a core value, like truth is Kyle said, it should be a given, but 
really the person who receives the truth has to show up like an adult. <laughs> yeah. You know, and not, you know, be angry because they don't like what they're hearing or have a irrational response. And so it was interesting because like it ended up being a gift. And so then people realize, oh, when I speak the truth around here, I'm allowed to, and I'm not gonna, there's not negative repercussions. There's only positive conversations and solutions that come out of that. But I mean, it does take time, but that's a great point. And when we were going through the you know, those core values and all the prayer I did back early in the days and, you know, all of that around what are these, I could never have seen it take on the kind of nuance and intentionality that it has nine years later, you know? I mean, so I agree. Like, so, so it feels great, (laughs) you know, when like your core values just take on a life of their own beyond what you had in your mind, you know, like in the early days. Right. And that's part of that goes back to, what we were talking about earlier around that's when you really know your culture because you use, you, you use those words very naturally as part of your day-to-day operations versus it feels like it's staged. And so a company to get from when you roll out core values to where this actually just becomes that fabric, that ethos of who you are as a business that's when they've really got that strongly defined culture. And that's where, and it's a beautiful thing when it gets there, but a lot of organizations never get there. Just like high performance teams um, with a client, I'm going to be doing a team building session with, with them in a couple of weeks. And they have, and this is with some of their senior leaders who are not, um, not playing well in the sandbox. Oh boy. And part of it goes back to just some of the basics around telling the truth it's around having open and candid conversations it's about not doing things that could be seen or perceived as you know doing an end around or stabbing the person to the back and it's amazing that this is a very successful company um, but the ceo is a real visionary and he just sees things that are happening that are not um it's just poor behavior. Mm. And so I, I jokingly say that one of the best, one of the best leadership books that it was ever, that everybody should read is everything I learned. I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> I forgot about that yeah, book. And, yes. and I have had, I have literally had some leadership teams actually read that book and nice. then I actually tell them to do, let's do a book review together. I don't have them pull out their mats or anything like that. <laughs> sit in the, you know, sit crisscross applesauce, but um, but it's just great. so true. It's please and thank you and sharing, and you know, just just being taking care of each other and just being respectful. And there's just and I say, you know, this is and some of them I just get them all hyped up on the book we're going to read them. They're they're like, you're serious, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm dead serious <laughs> because somewhere along the way. Somewhere along the way with the title you have and, and your compensation, you forgot some of the basics. Yeah. And it's amazing how many teams are, um, are highly dysfunctional, even though the, the company is very successful and the company is not willing to look in the mirror and really go back to some of the basics around um, how they got from point A to point B. Do you know what's interesting is like I find executives like that incredibly dissatisfied in their own self. And I feel like it's um, a chicken or the egg mm-hmm. piece because once you step into your amazingness, right? You yeah. know, like I am something of substance and you stop paying attention to other people, like you literally start shortcutting the value that you can bring 
because you got to the place that you got to by being good to people, by serving them well, by bringing value and by recognizing who your real audience is at all times. And once you're, you know, full of yourself, you know, and there's a reason that is a phrase, you know, it's amazing because it doesn't feel good to not bring value and to not serve other people. Like, and I think people just get away from that. And it's sad. I mean, it's this weird negative self-fulfilling prophecy that happens. You know, if you do focus on yourself, I mean, that's a really short, (laughs) there's a very short runway around, you know, I mean, like what kind of trajectory you can take. It's sad. And it's so true because there's so many companies that are, you know, one of those classic things are the amount of companies that are on the, that were on the fortune 500 25 or 30 years ago. And how many of them don't exist now? So many. It's shocking. Probably 50, 60% no longer. I think it's even higher than that. Probably. It's awful. And it's just amazing. And some of them, of course, were acquired. Some, some of them have morphed into something different, but in a lot of cases it was, that company just became, um, they, their ego got the best of them and they just thought there is no way that we are the smartest. We're, we're, you, you know, we're, we're the, we're the smartest in the group by far. Our product's the most innovative and, um, and starting off my career in that technology world, you had to have that mindset of everybody else is trying to take you out. Yeah. And everyone else is, and I worked in, you know, a lot of times I would be working in the cellular comp, you know, the, the wireless community, the cellular and devices. And back then is if you're, if we all remember back in this, you know, the nineties and eighties, how clunky, you know, the, the cell phone was right now, big and bulky and how bad it huge. was from, they were only rich people had them. They were huge. Yeah. And they, everybody had that backpack with those, the battery and yep. everybody had this thing and they pulled out the little antenna and you think about what we deal with today and where we're going. And, um, it's just fascinating. So I think the mindset then in that high tech and that technology space was you had to make your product, your best product obsolete faster than the comp competitor. Mm. And you had to continue to keep that. So let's celebrate, but the celebration has to be quick and short. Yeah. And then we just, we figure out how to, how to make this thing obsolete. We just designed and we spent two, three, four, five years and millions of dollars working on. We have to make that obsolete faster than the guy down the road. Stay hungry, my friend. It's the iPhone. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. No, that's exactly right. I still right. have an iPhone 8. And, I, and, I, and from what I hear, I won't be able to use it soon. I guess you won't be able to update it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it works perfect. It lasted so long. I know. Yeah. Okay, so you were mentioning the star, and we just went and chased the squirrel. Yeah, I, know. I think we had only gotten to oh, the second did. prong you of were the star. Very good. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I really want to hear yeah, the rest no, of them because no. I'm like, on number two, I was already floored. So I'm like, yeah, you yeah. need to keep going. <laughs> so, um, so, so we started off with so the five points, and I got to remember them my, myself since I pitch it quite a bit. So <laughs> strategy, structure, and then the next one we go to is around re- rewards. And so rewards, and one of the key things that companies, uh, again, client, current client, um, referenced already in a, not a, not a, uh, you know, inter- interesting light, but they have a great, and they have a fortune five, they have a fortune 100 type of benefits program. Wow. Their overall compensation program, 401k match, their benefits program, their retirement plan, unbelievable. But they really just until a couple of years ago, they weren't really marketing that to their employees. So when, so when HR people think about, everybody thinks about pay. 
And people fixate on the paycheck. Mm-hmm. What am I making? What's my what's mm-hmm. my income? You know, what's my net income after taxes? And I said, you know, if a company has a great rewards program, be thinking about everything from PTO to 401k to their benefits program. Maybe they offer some type of um, short-term, long-term disability programs. And, and a lot of times for smaller companies, you don't even have to pay for some of those programs. But as long as you offer it at a group discount, it's going to hmm. be appreciated. Interesting. And so many companies do a very poor job of marketing some of the benefits they provide for employees or how they compare it to the guy down the street. So um, to quickly go through the star, so rewards is another big point on the star. The next one is going to be around people. So making sure you have very well-defined and repeatable and scalable people processes. So your hiring process is the same. On the flip side, your, your firing process should be very consistent and the same. Yeah. Because again, a lot of our sweet spot and ideal clients, everything they do is nothing is, is very proactive. Everything is very reactive. So even in hiring, if you know you have, if you know you're going to be losing X amount, if you know you're going to be losing 25 people a year in this position, it's just a high turnover position. Why don't you always be hiring for that position continuously? Yeah. Right. Versus, oh my gosh, so-and-so is leaving. I guess we need to hire somebody. He is constantly getting on me about that since we're in a growth phase. And it's super helpful though, because since we're growing, you know, I mean, it escalates how fast you have to hire and yeah, but we don't, we're too small to have a bad hire. I know that actually everyone should never have a bad hire. However, you know, I mean, there's nowhere to hide in a small company. And so, you know, he's like, babe, you might not find them within the first couple months. I mean, you have got to be way out ahead. And if we do find them and we know we're making financially sound decisions, let's go. Right. You know? And so he was literally just lecturing me yesterday about a position because we're about to push past capacity. We don't technically need them right now, but he's like, doesn't matter. Like get going, post that job right now. I'm like, you are right. And he, you know, I mean, challenging me to do better because this is, you know, like something we hire for continuously. And he was like, it needs to be all the time. Never take that job post down. I'm like, okay, yeah. let's well, go. From the time we post that job that it takes at least two months before we truly at hire. At least. But, you know, four or five interviews minimum. We take them out, just feel who they are as a person. If it's via Zoom, you know, a lot of the interviews are Zoom. Now, if they're moving, we've had people move from out of state and they know they're coming here. I, I don't know if you get that a lot. <laughs> We're like, well, we've got to do the interviews. We can't do these in person. Yeah. When are you going to be here? You know, um, but to go back to your point, I'm like, Put that out there now. By the time the time comes, we're going to need them. And we want to have people to choose from. Yeah. And that's so true. So so that's where, so on the people side of things, at the end of the day, we try to create the scalable. If you know this event is going to be happening continuously, and most of the time, the companies that we we, we work with the most are really focused on Every time it's almost like, oh my gosh, what do we do now? And I'm like, okay, let's help you to create documentation. Let's help you. We, we have a, a very good uh, boarding template, which we share. We work with, with clients to customize for them. 
But an onboarding plan, again, most people think about, tell me about your onboarding process. Well, this is what we do the first day. I'm like, okay, that's not an onboarding process. That's your hiring paperwork, showing them where the bathroom is, getting you set up on a computer, you know, blah, blah, just all the boring. That's what you need to do. It's the checklist. Right. Have to do. Yeah. supposed to do. Exactly. So onboarding is, you know, a nine month, it's a nine, um, excuse me, it's a 90 day process. So it's very intentional, at least 60 to 90 to 100 day process, depending on the position. Interesting. And it's really helping what... At the end of the day, what we want to do is make sure that they feel that they're entrenched. If they feel, if you have a new hire after after they've been there for three months and they still feel like they're an outsider looking into the company, mm-hmm. something's extremely wrong. Yeah. Well, firstly is they're, they're a very, there's a good chance you're not going to retain them for long. So studies show that 150, 200% of those people who have a bad onboarding experience will probably leave within their first year. Wow. Or 18 months. Yeah. So you start doing the math. It's it's a very, and after you've poured into this person, um, it's a very big number financially for you if you're doing this continuously. Oh, yeah. uh, and then the next thing is, too, on the flip side, I have not seen in my 30-plus years of hiring, there's not a perfect way to select a person that you know is going to be guaranteed to be successful. Thank you for saying that. Like it's just Amen. like, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels good to hear somebody just say, tell the truth that this part is complicated. Right. Yeah. And there's, and I know there's great assessments out there. Um, several clients use some wonderful assessment tools. They have behavioral interviews. They have panel interviews. They have multiple, let's go do lunch. Let's go do dinner. Let's see them in a social setting. But at the end of the day, some people will, will fool the system. And so the other thing you want to do with an onboarding process is make sure that the company feels like that this person is going to do well here. And if not, then you figure out what a fairly quick and respectful exit strategy looks like. Mm. So there's lots of little miniature reviews we'll do during that process. Uh, one of the clients, they just hired an HR person. She, she can't report to me legally, but she does report through me. Sure. So tomorrow afternoon, we're going to have a 15 or 20 minute conversation. How was your week? And so we do these touch base meetings and we do, we're going to do this for the first month to six weeks every week. And I tell managers too, within the onboarding process, we help uh, companies um, establish do that. All it takes is 10 or 15 minutes at the end of the, on a Friday, because if you don't, everybody gets busy. Yeah. So that's one of the other things. So I, I got stuck again, Dacia. So I'm like, I'm going to bring it back up. So one of them is around people. Mm-hmm. So, um, the next point on this, so we had rewards and then we moved over to people was the next function. So a lot of this is really focused on scalable people, things that are very repeatable from a scalable perspective there. The last one's process. So it's making sure, depending on the organization, there's all these things you have to do from a process perspective in HR. That's probably the most technical and the most compliant, and you know, I hate to say, it, but the kind of the most boring part of it. But it's making sure, even in your hiring process, making sure every you have a scripted set of um, slate of interview questions. Not only to make sure you have good interview questions, but also make sure you're not touching on anything that's illegal. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and nowadays there are just so many hot buttons you can't go down. Oh, that, that you, scares me. You know, because like, there's probably stuff I just don't even. You Realize. don't think about just because um, we're yeah. you're very conversational. Yeah. So and in a conversation, all of a sudden you can get into 
religion, you can get into kids, yeah. you can get into... Oh, and it almost always comes health. up naturally because they'll uh, say, my son or, you know, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so you just know that if that person's not hired and maybe you spent a lot of time just getting to know the candidate, that could be twisted around that, oh, well, you didn't hire me because it's I told discrimination. you this. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, and today there's just, you know, the world we live in today, there's just so many things you can... So many points, landmines you can hit and yeah. step on yeah. that were very innocent in nature, but you just directionally, it ended up to be so conversational yeah. that you top, you step on, you go into topics and you go down some rat holes that maybe you don't want to go in in a first or second interview. It's like there's lots of time to learn about that person once they come on board that sometimes it's just fun, but eh, let's keep things focused. And let's also be efficient in how we do things. Yeah. So those are the five points of the star. So strategy, structure, uh, rewards, people, and then process. That's awesome. And then we have a lot of things. So our whole model really builds around that. So each one of the points of the star has all these um, work streams. Yeah. That'll fold under there, like onboarding around leadership development, around compensation strategy, um, around strategic planning annually that then we'll drill into an organization. If we have the chance to work with them for for a year, two, three years, then we'll get into all the different sub parts, the little, the, the little, the tiny points on the, each one of the major points of the star. So cool. Okay. I got to just be frank for just a second. I'm enjoying this so much because it's so easy and cliche to say, oh, HR, you know, they're the PC police, like yeah, sure. they're the fun killers, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I mean, like, there's a lot of, yeah. you know, corporate jokes around that, but yeah. I'm like, Oh, you gotta go to HR. Oh boy. It's like going to the principal's yeah. office. I can't, yeah. like, can't yeah. have any more fun, interesting good. conversations yeah. anymore. Stop it. You know, I mean, and I, but I mean, what you're talking about are really exciting things, you know? I mean, this is like, what you want your business to be and how you want to honor people and how you want to build a high performing team and then feel amazing about what you're doing for them and what they're doing through your organization. I mean, like, this is exciting. This is not the, you know, joy killer. <laughs> I'll be honest. I was just like, okay, we're having, Mar he's an HR guy. I was like, how interesting is this going to be? You know what I mean? Like, what are, are we really going to talk about HR for the whole time? No, yeah. I'm serious. But we just can't stop no, asking it's questions. Neat that he's incorporating. It's all about culture now. I, I kind of want to get into the great resignation. Like, everyone yeah. knows it's real. It's here. A lot of the reasons people wanted more freedom uh, to work remotely, maybe, which some businesses now are like, okay, you know, we got to start showing up in the office or looking for jobs. One thing, was it money? It seemed like that wasn't a huge thing for why people were leaving, but culture right. is the hot button, and we've identified that. But my question is, is this great resonation as big as they say it is? Mm, good <laughs> question. Know, I love that this question. Like, what were they saying? 40% of the workforce within 18 months or? Yeah, even greater than that. So some wow, studies, really? wow. some of the studies that have come out have been closer to 75%. Wow. Um, I, I think, you know, it's one of those, you have to take that number with a grain of salt. Right. Because some, um, you know, your classic, when you look at restaurants, mm -hmm. when you look at hotels, hospitality, yeah. their normal turnover rate is extremely high oh, naturally. Sure. And has been for years. Yeah. Um, 
So I think that when you when you aggregate those numbers, you come up with a really a very scary number, which is really large, 50, 75 percent. And that's true. But again, a lot of it is very industry specific. So um, another a brand new client out in Tyler, they work in the they help um, their 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 focus is helping people to stay within their homes, the elderly. And I was out there last week. Uh, talking to them and their current turnover of caregivers for in-home caregivers is around 160%. 160%. So you're turning over almost, you're turning over almost twice a year. You're almost turning over their full caregiver staff. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh is right. I was not quite sure how that number worked until you explained them. Like, why are people leaving so so much? Well, one of the things is it's just, it's naturally hard. Okay. Emotional? Um, Is it? It's emotionally hard. It's physically hard, especially if that person no longer has the use of their legs. Um, unfortunately, both my parents um, passed away a few years ago. Dementia, advanced dementia. So people, unfortunately, some people, you typically would, um, I'm not an expert on dementia, so I'll just put that little caveat in there. But a lot of times people become very angry. Yeah. Yeah. Very abusive. Yeah. So in some cases, they've been with a dementia patient for years, and they've also seen their personality change into somebody who's really angry at everything. So it's almost like the emotional challenge and then the physical side. And, and unfortunately, it's such, a needed, um, it's such a needed space from a business perspective. But the pay, a lot of times you can go into a much different job and be paid twice as much money. Yeah, we've worked with a couple of clients um, in that space, and one of the other crazy things that you don't think about is the amount of compliance they have to deal with. So then they have a really difficult day and then they have to go in and enter endless amounts of notes. They can get in trouble for so many easy things. The company is in major danger. If not, everything is documented. So it's a lot of pressure on an hourly employee. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've got a buddy of mine in Corpus that um, we reconnected six months ago or so and uh we started talking about work you're with me Mm -hmm. um and he started a hospice business in corpus it's doing wildly successful right now it's and they have they have such beautiful hearts 18 months onto the ground yeah i need to get with him and see how he's doing on the hr side because that's got to be his biggest challenge it really is you know and hospice it, it really is one of those things we talked about. It's a calling to do hospice work. Oh, for yeah. sure. It was for him. Right. Because yeah. you just know, you know ultimately yeah. what the outcome of this, this situation yeah. is yeah. with this person. And, um, it, and I think it is, too, that one of them, some of them do last several years, but after a while they just need emotionally, they're just, they're just so spent and they're just always giving and giving and giving and there's no giving back to them. And... Um, so I think to your point, though, Kyle, I know I keep, I'll go right down there with, I'll go in this little rabbit hole with you. But so I think the great resignation, is it here? Yes, it is. Are the numbers extremely high? But a lot of it's going to be very um, industry, it's going to be very industry specific. Um, I think the other big thing is that there are, there, there, I think the remote workplace is here to stay. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. And so I think it's it's how... How well can organizations, I think, you know, another cliche and another buzz term now has come up to pivoting. How well can organizations pivot? And it's one thing to say that's fine to work remote or hybrid, 
you know, two, three days in the office, the rest of the time at home. I think the biggest miss there is that organizations from which wraps and ironically, so much of the work that we do is wraps around culture. How can the culture and how can the leaders adjust to when they are so used to having everybody under the same roof? Right. And they can go out and say, they can go out and touch that person or whenever they want to have a, an impromptu meeting, they can call it in five minutes and they just kind of stand, you know, get outside their office and said, Hey, we're meeting on this for in five minutes from now. That's simple. But when you have people that are remote yeah. and maybe not plugged in at that point in time during the day, it's not that simple to call a meeting within five or 10 or 15 minutes because remote scheduling and the remote workforce um, some people love to work. Some people don't even want to work and touch work until 11 a.m. in the morning. And they go from 11, and then maybe they work till 8 or 10 at night. Mm -hmm. And so how do you adjust a traditional 8 to 5 work schedule to that? And how do you adjust your culture to where you're still reaching out and touching the people, and the people feel like they're connected? Versus they're all they're all gig employees, yeah, and they're all working for themselves because they work from home, and their dress code now is sweats and flip flops to go to work. And I think organizations culturally are going to take a long time. Most organizations are not that innovative to to adjust. It's great to say, oh yeah, everybody can work remotely, but the organizations culturally and leadership wise they don't know how to do it it's going to take a couple years to get there you know uh she started off fully remote seven years yeah 100 percent remote team 100 yep. percent remote and there was a lot of downfall to that of not having that personal connection not having um people just speak their minds sitting around you know a conference table 10 people and just randomly spewing off thoughts of like how can we solve this problem? Because there's a delay always in communication when there's uh, Zoom calls. If you have a big group of people on a Zoom call, by the time your turn gets around it, maybe 30 minutes down the road, you're not fully engaged on that particular topic or don't want to bring it back up. They've moved on to something else. Um, we've noticed a huge benefit by having this office here and getting teams together. I think the thing, though, is being able to schedule exactly what you're going to do on these office days and what you're going to do at home rather than just kind of free floating. We do have meetings that are scheduled when we're here, but the structure when they are here um, kind of needs to be more identified. I don't know. You know, I mean, I think that's something we'll figure out because, you know, I agree with you that we've found so many benefits to embracing this hybrid and having a physical space. Um, you know, but some of the big things I learned and some of the things that I think I've got to bring back is, um, for instance, I learned a long time ago, which I have since then broken this rule since the pandemic, but I used to never have back to back Zoom meetings. And the reason was, was because if my team member needed to talk about their dog, about their mm. lunch, about their dentist appointment. They needed to know that I had nowhere else to be except to focus on them. You know, so that was a big one. And like this Zoom culture with the back-to-back, -back, I mean, like one of my employees jokingly said, um, or team members, she jokingly said, she said, my gosh, 
have you realized it's almost illegal now to go to the bathroom? Because if you're even one minute late on Zoom time, I mean, it's like dog years. Like you just held everybody up. And she's like, I'm literally having to schedule bathroom breaks, you know, with her clients. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. You know, and like I had to do a lot more no agenda meetings with team members. Like, Which are great. Yeah, they are great. And so I've kept those, but they're easy to cancel. And so like having the discipline not to do that, you know, not to be like, hey, can we just cancel this? I don't have anything. Well, that's the point. Like there's right. it's just getting to know you. Like there is no point to it other than human connection, you know, and then we did, we had to be so intentional though. And it's something that we're about to bring back to our culture because look, we just got, you know, we just, started taking it for granted that we were in person, but we would do digitinis where we would just sit around and storytell. And we had like some one or two funny questions like, what's the name of your pets and why? That's a good question, by the way. If you ever need a, a question at a networking event, yeah. that's a great one. People have hilarious pet names. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we would just do these weird games and all sorts of stuff in order to create an us. And you're right, it does not replace being in person, it does not replace the accidental, hey, did you hear that the other day? What do you think's going on there? And, you know, how can we as a group, you know, I mean, like just the natural, cool thinking that happens in person, but it is possible, but it takes a lot of work to be, you know, to really create an us in a remote environment, you know, a lot. I was going with that was when you are remote, everything's intentional. Everything you say is intentional. Every action is, every meeting. Yeah. And um, I don't know, it's just more free spirit in person. Yeah, no, 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 you're right. I think I just misunderstood you. You're totally right. It, everything is on purpose in Zoom and it is kind of exhausting. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's so true. You know, you can't, you can't have an impromptu happy hour. You can't have yeah. an impromptu yeah. lunch. Lunch. And yeah. just saying, hey, guys, who wants to go to lunch? I'm going to over here. Yeah. And anybody in, and all of a sudden, three people come with you and you have a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. Versus, like you said, everything now is much more in a, in a remote world, it becomes a much more sterile world. And then, so I think the biggest challenge going back to, into the question around culture, it's, it's hard to create a spontaneous culture and one that's really focused on in, in just having those impromptu things and just having a very casual work environment. It's really hard to do that when you are in, you know, you're, you're, you're just consumed with what you're doing this day at home yep. and how things and people just naturally may take breaks at different times of the day and, you know, go grocery shopping at 10 o'clock on Monday just because there's no crowd there. And they can be, just be hyper efficient with it and avoid the Saturday, Sunday crowd mm-hmm. and just say, I'm going to go shopping for an hour just because I've just finished this thing. And then, and then the boss has, doesn't have to be, shouldn't be upset. Well, where were you? What were you doing? And you shouldn't. So it's everything around how the how the manager reacts to that situation when so and so is not sitting there, and you IM them or slide, whatever you use, and they don't respond. And as the instant thing is, oh well, they're not they're they're out there goofing off. If that's yep. your original original thing. Then no, calm down because I know they work till they were online and they were working till nine o'clock last yeah. night. Oh so yeah, give them a look break. At, exactly. Look at the times you'll get emails. That is so true. Yeah. I mean, like there's times when I've gotten an email and I rarely look at the times, but I happen to glance on it. It's two 30 in the morning. Now I'm not checking it until nine 30 in the morning, but I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> okay. Like as long as it's good work, like, okay. There's two sides of that though. Um, some of the 
our employees stay up late, like to work late. They're mm-hmm. not early risers. That's we right. We get it. On the flip side, um, I get up early. Right. So um, <laughs> it may be four in the morning, but it's not from the night before. It's that morning for me. Um, <laughs> it's one of the first things I tell people when they come on, uh, come on board. I'm like, if you receive an email from one of us at four or five, six in the morning, that means we have free time to send that out. We're not looking for a response. Right. Ever. You'll know when we need a response. I'm going to text you or something. And there's nothing that important, really, um, yeah. in our line of work that needs that type of attention. Well, if we can, it does, we've dropped the ball. And that then. core value truth, I mean, we encourage everybody, like, put it on your calendar so we can see it. Like, oh, trust yeah. us to be good yeah. to you. Because, you know, I mean, like, one of, one of um, you know, our team members, she's got daughters. Well, of course she has to pick them up from school. So that does not make her in a you know unable to do great work. Sure, it just means she can't do a call during that thirty minutes. Yeah, fine, and 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 then we can be respectful. But you know you have to make a decision that you're not going to be mad at that. Yeah, one of our employees does Meals on Wheels every Friday between what, ten and yeah. twelve thirty. Yeah. We're like, all right, yeah, don't call, exactly. Don't it's great. amazing. Don't text her, yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So okay, so I want to turn it back on you. What are some of your favorite things that you and your team members do? Or what are the things that you've learned the most from? Or just, you know, I mean, like when you're eating your own dog food, what does yeah. that look like? You know, I think the biggest thing is that trying to be just checking in with people is one of the biggest things that I try to do on a regular basis is really checking in. And like you said, I love the no agenda no agenda meeting or the no agenda coffee. It's like, let's just get together and connect. No reason. And sometimes it is a, a you know, and I guess, it's, you know, shame on me because a lot of times it is a phone call, but Same it's here. not scheduled. It's, but it's just a random phone call checking in. Um, so that's one. And, you know, it changed during COVID just because of just the uncomfortableness about being together and being in restaurants and things right. like that. But I do try to do, and sometimes depending on the person, it is I had a person uh, lunch with a team member um, on Monday, and today's Thursday, so it's uh, so it was recently, and just doing that just to check in. We had we had a little bit of business, but the rest of it was just checking in. Yeah, and just openly finding out. And um, another team member had a lot going on a couple of years ago, so just really just checking in with him about what was happening just with him as an individual and he had probably out of the top stressors, top 10 stressors in your life. He probably had four of them, I think going on all within the same year. Yeah. We can relate. And you were unaware, (laughs) you weren't aware of it until you said, until we started. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then we perspective of what he's going through and it's not, you know, a little leniency here and there and help him work through things. Right. And it shows you care. Yeah. And you know, and it's, and of course, I am I am guilty as charged that sometimes this more kind of focuses around the holidays and getting people together. But now it's really trying to get trying to do those things that are a little more unscheduled, yeah, but intentional. This isn't scheduled, but let's 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 plan lunch. Let's plan coffee within the next two weeks. Let's look at calendars right now because I know if I don't do it. Yeah. And I don't schedule it then, it's not going to happen. No, that's, that's, I mean, I have so everything in my life has to be scheduled right now and it just is what it is, right. you know, but, um, we are about to intentionally bring more fun back in yeah. and, um, the serendipitous part of it will be, we know, we don't know what we're doing. Like each person we're taking off a half day once a month and then each, each different team member will be in control of what we do. 
And That's so, great. yeah, and I'm like, I can't wait. I'm like, what are we doing? When's the next? Like, when's the first one? I'm like, I want a half day off to do something I don't know is coming. Like, this is so. And fun. the nice thing is, it just takes the stress off of you. Yeah. To plan it and orchestrate it and organize it, because and then you can just say, hey, and then people would. You're always you're always going to have these naysayers who said, oh, why do we do this thing? Why do we that? Because it's what you know. They see or Kyle want to do, and yes. it's like, oh, you guys, do the same thing. Yes. You guys plan it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I do get inside of my own head about, are they going to think this is cool? I don't know. I'm kind of a dork. <laughs> like, and then I make everything complicated. Yeah. So. so no, that's a great, that's a great thing. I've got, I may steal that one from you guys. Just oh, well, share stories. Like exactly. Yeah. I love it. Okay. If you had one piece of advice or encouragement that you would want to give to everybody out there right now in this day and age, like what would it be? Yeah, it's, um, I, I, I want to be quick here. But I would just say the key thing is just keep, just keep moving forward. Have a, you know, probably, well, have a plan and keep doing something every day to move forward to achieving that plan. It doesn't matter how lofty that plan is, but make sure you're making a positive step yeah. in that direction each day. Just like, you know, there's, I know there's so many sayings, which, you know, a thousand mile journey starts at, with one step. Yeah. Or, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. Yep. So don't look at this massive thing that you're just so, you become, because if you look at it in its totality, it's just overwhelming. Yes. And the worst thing you can do is stay put. Yep. Because as, as you know, in your work too, if, if you try to, if you, if you, if you have the status quo, you're actually going to go backwards. Mm-hmm. If you're not moving forward, you're actually going backwards. You're staying put because everyone else is continuing to move forward. Uh, well said. So I'd say that's probably the biggest thing. It. Yeah, absolutely. Did you yes. ever read that book, Atomic Habits? I did. Oh, if anybody wants a deep dive yeah. on Mark's advice, read that book. <laughs> so good. I listen to it. Okay, well, where can people find you? Yeah, they can find us a variety of sources. So, of course, we have, um, they can find us through LinkedIn, hrcatalystconsulting.com. It's a mouthful. Also, we have a website, which has a lot of good material on there. We have a lot of our, we have a lot of our blogs out there. We also have a podcast that we do uh, that actually in our podcast currently, and it's just a little bit in its infancy, started about a year ago, but it's actually HR Problem Solver. And that podcast is on all the major channels of the Apples and Spotify. And so you can find us through there. And that we typically dissect that for it is small vignettes about different HR problems that I just narrate and tell companies of how to solve some HR issues that go nice. through, which is helpful. And so those would be the major ways to actually connect with us. But HR Problem Solve is a great way. Again, the website, LinkedIn, or they could come di directly if people wanted to link in with me directly at Mark Mitford. Um, and that would be a great way to check us out and find out more about our organization. I love it. And we will have all of these yeah. links in the show notes. And so Perfect. super, super exciting. Yeah. I even signed up for all of your free HR resources. I was like, Ooh, <laughs> so yes, definitely. That's great. Good for you. So how are you liking podcasting? Like you said, a year now, it's, um, Something different. I never thought I'd be behind a mic. I was planning on being behind the camera, and she got me. She taught me into sitting down here one day. No, but um, how do you like it? I like it. You know, the the one thing I, I haven't been as daring as what we're doing today, so I don't. Ha I have not had a guest on just yet. 
Oh, okay. so these are small, typically less than 10 minutes where we actually dive into, it's a little bit of a nice intense dive into an HR problem. Okay. And we will help you to, you know, the HR problem solver, here's a problem helps, here's a solution for your problem. So we try to give them, you know, we're, we, we try to focus on servant leadership and giving back. So part of that's a give back to say, hey, if this helps you and this could be something you're struggling with and to run with, great. And um, so that's one of the ideas, but I haven't been as bold just yet to do a, a have a guest on an actual live guest. But I love this form and I love this format, and uh, it's so comfortable. Your your place is a great place to do this at. So, do you have a YouTube channel? Do you do video I, as well? I do oh, have just, a okay. YouTube channel also. Yeah, thanks for reminding right. me. So we have some video. We have video on our from our website that we have taken, and we have some of the. Some of the different um, guest podcasts where we've actually gone into a studio or we've actually been a guest on somebody else's podcast, we do have that out on YouTube also. Awesome. So thanks for the reminder. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you again yeah, so great. much for spending some time with us and you guys onward and upward. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.